guys go ahead and open up. We are in Romans chapter 4, if you can believe it. Our 17th lesson in Romans so far. We've got a little ways to go, but we're covering some ground. And We started a few weeks ago looking at the doctrine of justification. and We're not really going to get away from justification. And I don't want to. I'll stay here and look at this as long as possible, but we're not going to uh, leave this teaching until we get to the end of chapter 5. When we go into chapter 6, we're going to then leave it. But Paul is going to take great care and has already in beginning to teach on this great doctrine of justification uh, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Um, he is taking great care to explain it, uh, to give examples. And tonight in this lesson that we're going to look at as we start chapter 4, we're going to see uh, the case for justification by faith alone. He's going to give some evidences that justification by faith alone um, is not a New Testament thing. That anyone who is justified, since even Abraham has been justified by faith alone. He's going to, in this discourse tonight, he's going to reference for us two Old Testament icons. He's going to use Abraham, and he's going to use um, David, but in the middle of those two, he's actually going to throw some, some common sense and a demonstration and an example for us to embrace and to learn from tonight about justification as he's making the case for justification by faith alone. And so he's going to give those two Old Testament examples, and I believe this as we look at this passage, he gives those two Old Testament examples for those Jewish converts who are there at Rome, but he's also going to give that common sense demonstration of justification and why it has to be by faith alone so that uh, the Gentiles will understand it because perhaps some in their midst gave no regard to Abraham and the authority that Abraham would carry or to David and the authority that he carried. So what Paul's going to do is also going to give them an example of just everyday common sense why justification is by faith alone. So let's read that together. Romans chapter 4, it says in verse 1, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? Uh, we know last week, if we go back to try to discover what matter is he talking about, he's talking about how there's no boasting. Uh, there's no boasting in the law. There's no boasting in what we do. There's no boasting uh, of the people who we come from, our, our heritage. Uh, that, in fact, justification by faith alone removes boasting at all. Uh, from an aspect of fleshly boasting. So he says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. He, he just spent time last week telling us that we don't have anything to boast about in our flesh. And he comes back and he says, and if Abraham had anything to boast about, uh, if, if he had any works that were worthy, then he could boast in these things. But He's not justified by those works because those works aren't worthy to justify. He goes on to says, and says there, but now before God. In verse 3, he says, what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. He's saying when you work, you get paid for working. It's an obligation. Your employer pays you because they are obligated to pay you. He goes on in verse 5, However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith 
is credited as righteousness. Verse 6 says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. And so when we see this, we're reading, and if you're not careful in reading, you will read over so many things that Paul is trying to establish, and most importantly, he's establishing for his listeners, those who receive this letter, he is establishing the case for justification by faith alone. It's very important. And the first thing that he does in verses 1 through 3, as we saw, um, he lists Abraham's discovery. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? What was it? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. He goes on and says, what does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? He's referencing the Old Testament. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What happens here is Paul is going to use um, a, a, a very important hermeneutical tool. And when we say that word hermeneutical, uh, that is how we interpret Scripture. That is the science of interpreting Scripture, hermeneutics. And he's going to use a very important tool that we ought to learn to use in our interpretation. It's called the analogy of Scripture. What he's saying is, I'm teaching you about justification by faith alone. Not only am I going to teach you about that, I'm going to also reference Old Testament Scripture that points to the fact and builds the case that justification is by faith alone. So he uses uh, the analogy of Scripture here to make his point. He goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, and, and you can flip over there if you would, Genesis chapter 15 in your Bibles, all the way back to the beginning. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, tell us the story of Abraham. It says this in verse 1, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He goes on to say, He took him outside and said, Look up at, at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Watch what verse 6 says. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is Paul going back, and he's using the analogy of Scripture, and he's saying this. He's proving the point, and he's making the case for justification by faith alone in fact, with the fact that Abram, who later we know became Abraham, was not declared righteous by anything that he had done, not by any works. Why? Because no one is. No one ever has been. In fact, we've learned this up until this point, that the law was to show us that we can't be justified by our works. But there had to be a righteousness that comes from God. We know Jesus was the fulfillment of that righteousness that comes from God. His imputed righteousness through the fact that we are justified, declared righteous 
by God and God alone is what saves a man. And so Abraham was not declared righteous by his works. Again, no one is. Romans 3.20, when we were there, and I'll remind you what it says. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The reality of it was this. Many people want to jump back to Abraham and talk about the law. The law has not even come forth yet in the time of Abraham. There was no way that Abraham could be justified by the law because the law did not come until Moses. So when we get a good chronological picture of the giving of the law, this was a pretty big span of time between Abraham and Moses, and there was no Mosaic law because there was no Moses to give that law to. And so we have to understand in looking at this, justification by faith alone goes all the way back to Abraham and it's what Paul is going to use here to build his case for not being justified by our own works. Why? Because no one can be justified by observing the law. Our justification comes by faith alone in Christ alone. We see that it says Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. Uh, this is a picture of his faith. That, that New Testament Greek word for believed here that we see in Romans is a word called pistuo. Pistuo, that's not just intellectual head knowledge. There's a huge difference, and, and I want you to understand that. In John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That belief is not a head knowledge in thinking that I know because I read in a book that there was a man named Jesus and He walked the earth and He died on a cross. Um, it's not that intellectual knowledge that we see there in John 3.16. We see that same word for believe, pistuo. And that is an interesting word that you've heard me talk about many times, but I don't want to uh, hesitate to remind you of that again. It's more than just a human knowledge from your mind, an intellectual knowledge. It is, according to that Greek meaning, to entrust one's spiritual being to. It is you trusting Jesus Christ with everything. And so when we look at pistuo, and we see that Abraham pistuoed, he trusted God more than he trusted himself, more than he trusted in his own works, more than he trusted in what he could see. Uh, we see this, that he was promised a child when he was way up in age, way too old in his mind to bear a child. However, it says this, but he kept trusting God anyway. He still trusted him with everything. And because he trusted him, and we know this, we know that that trust came from God. God revealed himself. God allowed Abraham to have that faith. And in that faith, he trusted God for what God said and what God promised. He pistuoed, he believed, and in believing, he was then declared righteous through faith and faith alone. Abraham was justified before God even while he was still a wicked sinner. It couldn't be circumcision, as many thought later on, because even at this moment that we saw way back in Genesis chapter 15, we haven't even seen the circumcision yet. Abram was still Abram. He was not Abraham yet. And so we know this. We know that justification by faith alone goes all the way back to at least Genesis chapter 15, because Paul is using this example to start this conversation off 
with the example of Abraham and what Abraham discovered in this matter. He discovered that his works will not make him righteous. His works will not save him. His works will not make him right with God. It is God's declaration of righteousness through faith and faith alone that justified Abraham. So Abraham was justified before God because of his faith alone, just like anyone who was ever justified before a holy God. Anybody here have anything to offer a holy God that would be acceptable? Anyone here have a righteousness on your own that meets his standard? No, and so we see this, that we have a loving God who meets us when we can't meet him. He comes to us and he declares us righteous even when we're still wretched. So we look at Galatians chapter 2. Flip over there in your Bible. We'll start at 16 of chapter 2, and I want to read all the way into chapter 3. He says in 16, chapter 2, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ, Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. How do we live for God? We live for God by what? Faith. The just shall live by faith. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for what? Nothing. He's saying if, if righteousness could be gained in any other way, Christ died for nothing. He goes on and say this, and the reason that he's telling the Galatians this is because there are people who are throwing them into confusion, and they are trying to get them to revert back to a system of legalism and back to a system of law that they had been rescued from. He says this in chapter 3, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, you are now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing that was really for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observed the law or because you believed what you heard? Let's do it. He goes on and he's going to go back to Abraham here with the analogy of Scripture. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. He announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. I want you to let that sink in for a second. He's saying this, Abraham believed by faith in the same thing that we believe in, the same one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God. We know this, by this statement we can draw this conclusion. God revealed 
a righteousness from God to Abraham. Abraham trusted in that. Watch what he goes on to say. He says, all the nations uh, will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10 says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Any of you been able to do everything written in the Word of God that says, here's what you need to do? We can start with the Ten Commandments. We've messed one up. Therefore, we're guilty of all. So the thing is, he's making the point here that if you're going to obey the law, you better be perfect in it, which no one can. Verse 11 says, clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because, why? That's what he says. The righteous will live by faith. So this faith and justification through faith is not something that's new to the, the, the New Testament. And that's what Paul is reminding them of in Romans. He's saying this goes all the way back, and I'll start with Abraham. It goes all the way back to what who they would have known as Father Abraham. He was the father of their people. And he says this, this justification by faith alone goes all the way back to the fact that Abraham had revealed to him the gospel. That's what he just said as we read there in Galatians. And in the revelation of the gospel from God to Abraham, Abraham trusted in God. What was the gospel that he revealed? He revealed to Abraham that I'm going to raise up a mighty nation for my own name. And I'm going to use your people. Now, when we look at that and we see as the lineage of Abraham goes, did he use Abraham's people to raise up the Messiah? The answer to that question is an obvious yes. And he used Abraham's people to raise up a Messiah so that all who believe and trust in him, that's that testuo, by faith will be justified and declared righteous by a holy God. There is no other way to be declared righteous. So this son, Isaac, who Abraham was promised, was more than just a son, Isaac. He was promised redemption for all who would believe. That's the gospel by faith alone in the one who was to come, which we know this because we can look back and we can see it all from our viewpoint was Jesus the Christ. So as we look at this, Paul jumps to Abraham right off the bat and says, guys, understand, Father Abraham, he was not justified because of works. He was not justified through the law. In fact, he was prior to the law. He was justified by his faith in the one who was to come. Please understand this. There is no one are you listening to me? No one who will be justified or declared righteous by a holy God who does not have faith in Christ alone. From Abraham all the way to the last person who is chosen and elected by God to receive salvation, every single one of them will come by faith alone. And they will be justified by that faith. Not by anything that they've done, anything that they could say, anything that they could do in and of their own power. So verses 1 through 3, he reminds of, of us of Abraham's discovery, the fact that God revealed to Abraham his promise. Abraham then trusted in that promise, and his faith was credited as righteousness. And so we read on in Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Now when a man works, Paul's going to use a common sense 
analogy, a common sense explanation or demonstration here. He says, now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies, watch this, the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. What Paul is doing is he's making a human common sense argument for those people who might not understand the promise of Abraham. And he makes this argument, and to me, in making this argument, it clears up a whole lot for us. What he's saying is, if works justify sinners, God would be a debtor to the sinner. I want you to think about that for a second. That's exactly how he words it. If you have to work for it and earn it, then justification is God paying you out of obligation. How many of you understand that is not justification? That is not what the Scripture teaches about how a man is justified. He's not justified because he does X amount of good things, and in doing the X amount of good things, God then pays him for those good things done. How many of you know that's not how it works? Paul's making this demonstration so that they understand that, because God would then be in a position of debtor. And how many of you understand what Scripture says about that? Did you know that's absolutely, positively contrary to Scripture? God owes none of you anything. In fact, God owes no one anything. Scripture declares that. Paul in Romans chapter 11 reminds us of something. He says in in verse 35 of Romans 11, he says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Now, Paul didn't come up with that on his own. Paul was going back and he was again using Scripture to comment on Scripture and Scripture to interpret what he was saying so that they could understand. And he was going back and he was going all the way back to Job 41 verse 11. And if you flip over in your Bibles to Job 41 11, if you can find Job real quick, we'll see what Job says in Job 41 11. Please understand, when we say this in Job 41.11, this is Job giving the account, or whoever wrote this account down, and it is God saying this. Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. What God is saying is this. Please pay attention. I am debtor to no one. I am in debt to no one. I owe no one anything. In fact, Even if you tried, you could not earn anything that I would give you. So please look at this as we we go through Paul's uh, demonstration and case here. He's saying, guys, use some common sense. If justification was by works and not by grace through faith in Christ alone, he's saying this, then justification would be a payment. And if justification is a payment, then God is not who he said he really is. Because God in Scripture is a God who owes no one anything. Now, we know that we have that confused in our society, don't we? The, the mindset that says, if I just do enough right. I hear it all the time. What, what, what's your understanding about eternity? Well, my understanding is this. If I just do enough good, maybe God will let me in. 
that person has a messed up idea of God. He does not really understand God's true position. Because if, if it worked like that, the moment that I did enough good to earn a payment from God of righteousness, he ceases to be the God of Scripture. Because the God of Scripture, Jehovah, our holy God, our Creator, God Almighty, owes no man a single thing. Please understand that. Please grasp that concept. Please see who He is. Because the quicker that we see that aspect of God, the quicker we realize this is grace. And it is grace through faith alone that allows us to be justified in the eyes of a holy God. He is debtor to no one. So Paul gives this common sense demonstration that if justi justification came through our own deeds, or our own works, our own efforts, God would be a debtor to sinners. And God owes no man anything. He owes no one anything. So we see that he gives that demonstration. He goes on in 4 and then into 5. He says, now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Trust in our own works is not true faith. Please understand that. Trusting in your own works as salvation or justification before God is not true faith. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, Paul said, as I remind you of this again, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. Watch, and let me remind you of it again. And is by what? Faith. And so as we see Paul's demonstration, he's teaching again, you can't trust in your own works so that somehow you'll be justified. It doesn't work like that. Trust in our own works is not true saving faith in Christ. People who teach you that you have to somehow do certain things in order to be justified or saved, those people are in error, and that is total heresy. When we look at justification and the doctrine thereof according to the Word of God, we're not justified by the things that we do. Faith that rests, please pay attention to this. Write this down. Faith that rests on our own human choices. I chose God. No, you didn't. We learned in Romans chapter 3 that you didn't seek God. You are unrighteous in every aspect, in every fiber of your human being. Faith that rests on your own human choices your own human efforts, your religion, your accomplishments, your abilities, your own understanding, faith that rests on any of those things, please listen to me, guys, is not saving faith. You're not justified that way. Many people will spend an eternity in hell putting their faith in their choices, in their efforts, in their religion, in their accomplishments, 
in their prayers. Did you know this? I tell people this all the time. Prayers don't save you. Why? Because we're not justified by grace through prayer. We're justified by grace through what? Faith. Now, will a person who is justified by faith alone pray? Well, sure you will. But that prayer did not justify you. And so when we look at this, we have to see Paul giving this clear demonstration and example as he's explaining the case for justification so that we don't fall in the trap of thinking that God needs our help to declare us as righteous. It's the righteousness that comes from God. William Gernal, a preacher in the 1600s, a Puritan, he says this, we are justified not by giving anything to God, what we do, but by receiving from God what Christ hath done for us. God graciously justifies. Watch what Paul says here in verse 5. He graciously justifies the wicked. Don't miss that when we read this verse. Now, it, it, would, it would sound really good to those who were trying to work for salvation if verse 5 said, however, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the righteous. Well, that's not what he says. He said God who justifies the what? Wicked. His faith is credited as righteousness. God graciously justifies the wicked, not the righteous. So any righteousness that you think that you have is not worthy enough to cause you to be considered justified and declared righteous by a holy God. He justifies the wicked. How does He justify the wicked? When they clean up their act? When they do ten right things? When they say 37 Hail Marys? When they take the sacraments? When they're baptized? When they join the church? When they walk an aisle, when they pray a little prayer, when they do 17 jumping jacks for whoever it is who's counseling with them after the service? No, he says the wicked are justified by what? Faith. Justification is an undeserved gift of grace to the sinner. Not an obligatory payment to the righteous. Many times in American Christianity and Christianity as a whole, we get that so backwards and so confused we act as if, if we, we live a certain way. Then God has to. He has to then give me the thumbs up because I'm doing the right thing. God doesn't justify people who do the right thing by faith. He justifies the wicked who had no other option in their wickedness but to spend an eternity separated from God in hell until He graciously awarded them with salvation, graciously gave them faith to believe, and in that faith being exercised in belief, pastuo, in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone for justification, the wicked are then made and declared righteous by a holy God. 2 Timothy chapter 1 says this, Verse 8, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. Please underline that in your Bible. Not because of anything that we had done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. 
but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Salvation cannot be. Listen to me, men. It cannot be. Works coupled with the grace of God. God does not need a teammate to save you. He doesn't need your help. In fact, it's better for you to stop trying to help God, thinking that somehow you'll be declared righteous by your good deeds, and to cry out, as the tax collector did in the story that we looked at last week with Jesus and the tax collector and the Pharisee, and when that man just bowed his head and said, forgive me, I'm not even worthy. I am a wretched sinner. I have nothing to offer a holy God. Why did it say, as Jesus taught that, that that man walked away justified? Because that man, in his wickedness, cried out to God by faith, and in crying out to God by faith, he was then declared righteous and justified before a holy God. Oh, isn't it interesting how the enemy wants to twist this? And he wants to keep people from seeing the true grace of God. He wants to keep them from experiencing true justification and the righteousness of God that comes through Christ alone. He deceives people into thinking that God somehow needs your help. You couldn't even help yourself. He doesn't need your help. I'm thankful that God didn't ask me to help him save me. Because if he would have asked me to help him save me, I would have messed it up just like I messed up anything that had to do with God by my very nature from the time I set foot into this earth. David, excuse me, Paul, before we get to David, closes this demonstration by making it very clear. By very making it very clear that it's justification by faith alone to the wicked. And those wicked people who He regenerates through the power of His Holy Spirit to new life, they are justified by faith in Christ and Christ alone. I, I, I read that word wicked, and it jumps out at me every time I read that text. Wicked. Because it's so backward from the way we think it ought to be. Why? Because I, in our humanity, you know what we do? We say this, if you want something from me, you better earn it. God said this, I'm giving you something that you don't even know that you need. But I know that you need it. And for my name's sake and for my glory, I am going to make what was dead alive. I am going to declare the wicked righteous. And he will be forever praised because of his method of salvation that when we look at it in, in a scriptural context, no one gets the credit for it but God. No one. We learned way back when we started the solas. Sole, Deo, what? Gloria. To God's glory alone. If we're going to see salvation for God's glory alone, it has to be salvation that includes justification by faith alone. Why? Because we know then. God gets all the credit for it, doesn't He? Aren't you thankful that you can't take credit for it? I hope you are. I, I know some men are, but I also know this. There are some people who still like to take credit for it. 
And every time I run into those men, I'm going to be honest with you, I question whether they're truly saved or not. Because I know this. I was lost and dead in my sins. When He came to me, and He called my name, and He called me out of darkness into light, and He birthed faith in me that I never had before, and I believed only because He graciously allowed me to believe, and because of that, He has justified me and declared me as righteous. Paul gives this demonstration. He said if it was any other way, God would owe you something, and God owes no one anything. He goes on as we read in this text, verse 6. David says the same thing. He says, and David says the same thing that Abraham discovered and that I've just demonstrated. David also agrees with this. He says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. He's going all the way back to Psalm 32. And in Psalm 32, we see that it says in the first two verses, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. All again, turning back to the Old Testament Scriptures to give validity to what he was saying. This is why we don't throw the Old Testament in the trash. But some are in the habit of doing. We go back there and we see and we learn these lessons. David was talking about Someone who has been declared righteous by God through faith alone. David declares the results of justification by faith. Here's the results. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. A washing and a cleansing from our sin. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this. Many of you know this. It says, in him. Of course, referencing Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. David was talking about this same forgiveness. The forgiveness that comes, the washing that comes, the cleansing that comes through no effort of your own. But it comes through the work of Jesus Christ and it comes to us by faith alone in that work. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is sin-cleansing atonement that He poured out at Calvary 2,000 years ago for us. And I hope you never get tired of me referencing that example. That is the whole reason that we are here right now. Without the cross of Jesus Christ and without Him dying in our place, we have no reason to come and to celebrate. We have no reason to, to, to give Him praise and honor and glory for what He's done. But because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the finished work thereof, His death, His burial, His resurrection, we now can celebrate the new life that we have in Christ. Why? Because by faith we have been justified before a holy God, declared righteous. We see forgiveness, washing, cleansing that we received according to Ephesians chapter 1 in Christ. Through His blood, we received the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We see that David then goes on and he says, Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. We see forgiveness, but then we see freedom. Freedom, that is the liberty from sin. Your sins are covered. Well, how many of them, Kurt? How many of my sins are covered when I'm justified? Watch this. All. Your past sin? 
your present sin, your future sin. You are covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been imputed to you when a holy God declared you as justified. So please understand, when we look at this, we see forgiveness in David and what he said, but we also see freedom, forgiveness of sin, and then freedom or liberty from sin. Ephesians chapter 3 says it like this, In Him and through faith in Him, again, referencing Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Man, doesn't the enemy like to erase this doctrinal teaching? Well, you can't pray to God. You know what you said when that person cut you off in traffic. Who do you think you are? I, in and of myself, I am wicked. But it is God who justifies the wicked by faith in Christ. My faith is in Christ. In fact, the reason that I'm coming to the throne of God is to confess the fact that I did say that thing when that person cut me off in traffic, right? None of y'all have ever struggled with anything like that. Or anything else, I'm sure. Right? But when we look at this, please don't let Satan keep you from seeing the beautiful doctrine of justification in the case that Paul is laying out here for us. He's saying, we have to understand we are covered, we are free, we have liberty from sin and its dominion that it once had over our lives. How many times have you not approached the throne of God because of something that you did that was wrong as a believer? Isn't it interesting that we think that? That I now can't approach the throne of God? you know why you think you can't approach the throne of God? Because you think God's declaration of righteousness is not enough. And I'm here to tell you today so that you never find yourself in that position again God's declaration, His justification, the fact that He has declared you as righteous because of faith in Jesus Christ and that alone, that is the whole reason that we ought to boldly go before His throne of grace with that confidence in our times of need. Doesn't the enemy like to deceive us into thinking, oh, you can't approach the throne now. Anybody ever bought into that lie? Anybody living that lie now? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Stop living it. We're justified by our faith in Jesus Christ and that alone, which gives us forgiveness, washing us of all of our sin, which gives us freedom, liberty from sin. We are covered by His imputed righteousness. I'm thankful for that. Y'all watch this for a second. When God sees me, He no longer sees my sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when I approach the throne of God, I don't approach the throne of God as the wretched piece of filth that I was prior to faith in Christ. I approach the throne of God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He accepts me exactly the same as He accepts His only begotten Son. Now, I know to some of you, that's new teaching. To some of you, you never even began to imagine such things. But if you understand what the Scripture is teaching right here, you understand the case that Paul is laying out for them, you see very quickly that it's not about us, what we have or what we can offer. It's about everything that Jesus Christ did for us at Calvary 2,000 years ago. David says there's forgiveness, the washing of sins, 
There's freedom, the covering, the liberty from sin. Then he goes on and he says this. He says, blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And blessed or blessed is the man whose sin the Lord, watch this, will never, you underline that in your Bible. This is why Paul knows he's talking about justification. Because if God never counts your sin against you, you have been declared by God as what? Righteous, justified. He says, blessed is the man whose sins are never counted against him. So we see forgiveness through faith. We see freedom through that same faith. The justification that comes from that faith. And then we see finality. Finality. A declaration of righteousness forever. It is completely done. Romans chapter 8. We're not there yet. But we're going to reference it real quick. And when we get there, we're going to shout a lot. Romans 8, verse 28. As we talk about the finality of David's declaration, the finality that comes as a result of justification by faith alone and Christ alone. Romans 8, verse 28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. Why? Why would He do that? We read on. So, he says that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What a promise. What a promise to know. Those he called, he justified. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So we see that this is a picture of the finality that comes when we are declared righteous by God through justification that comes by faith alone. We go on if we read this, and we should because it's good stuff. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is, who is He that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. Watch this. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for who? Us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 37, no, in all things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. More than conquerors through Him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. Please pay attention. We like to read those last few verses, but read everything in between and don't miss the part where it says, who's going to bring a charge against those who God has chose, who He's chosen? It is God who justifies. What He's saying is this. You can't bring a charge against someone who is completely righteous. You can't bring a charge against someone who the sovereign God of this universe has declared righteous by His own predestination. Those He predestined, He called. Those He called, what did He do? He justified them. He declared them righteous. Those He justified, He also glorified. And so we see here that David in his declaration, in speaking, David declaring that the results of justification by faith alone, not only forgiveness of sin, not only freedom from sin, but finality, a declaration of righteousness forever. Why? Because it is God who justifies. And who are you to try to bring an accusation against someone who God has justified? It's exactly what he is saying there in that text that we just read in Romans chapter 8. Oh, and we're going to have some fun when we get there, but it's going to be a while. So I thought I'd give us the precursor to Romans chapter 8. David's declaration of righteousness by grace through faith and that alone. So all of your sin, please understand this, the finality of it, all of your sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for. It was paid for on a cross outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, a place that we know as Golgotha, a place that is commonly called Calvary. At that place, that it seems like the church doesn't even want to talk about anymore, right? We want to talk about everything under the sun, but let's don't go back to Golgotha. Let's don't go back to Calvary. Those things sound old-fashioned. I want you to know this. 2,000 years ago on an old-fashioned Roman cross, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords died in your place. The righteous one died for the wicked so that those who have faith in Him will be justified by a holy God. Watch this. Not until they mess up, forever. I love that. That no one can bring a charge against me. Why? Because it is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. And if you by faith have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, understand this. You are forever justified in the eyes of God. You have been declared as righteous, whom He foreknew, He did predestine to conform to the image of His Son. One day, one day, I promise you this, you will be completely conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in the presence of God forever. That's grounds for us to rejoice. Let me say this, positionally, though we're not practically there yet, we know glorification has not taken place. We're in the middle right now. We're in that thing called sanctification. But know this, positionally in your sanctification, you are already positionally declared as righteous. But you can now boldly go before His throne of grace in your time of need. Why? Because of faith in Christ and that alone. The justification by faith alone is not a New Testament doctrine. That's what Paul is establishing here. This is the case that he's making. It is a Bible doctrine. It is something that goes all the way back to Abraham. It is something that David understood. It is something that Paul was able to communicate because he understood it from his upbringing 
in the Jewish religion and his knowledge of the law in the Old Testament. So praise God that through Jesus Christ, those who trust in Christ have been declared righteous. That's justification. And it's not a temporary thing. They've been declared righteous forever. Not because of anything that they've done. Not because of anything that they've said. Not because of the church they attend. But because of faith alone in Christ alone. End of discussion. If you are trying to be justified before a holy God any other way, you are attempting an unbiblical justification. And that's what Paul is explaining to these people. He's going to continue talking about justification. I hope you're not tired of it yet. He's going to continue to talk about justification all the way through chapter 5. What a glorious doctrine it is. Back up at verse 5. Romans 4. He says, However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteous. His faith is credited as righteousness. How many of you tonight are thankful? God didn't justify you because you got your act together. He is a God who justifies the wicked who trust in the only one who we can trust in to save us, and that is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lamb of God, who sacrificed Himself on an old rugged cross in our place. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for each and every one of these men who are here tonight. We pray today for the one who's here who's been struggling to try to do it on their own. God, tonight I pray that You shower Your grace upon them. That You would save them from their own efforts. Save them from the futility of trying to earn salvation. And today that they would rest in Christ and Christ alone. That they would entrust to You everything this very day. That their faith, that they receive as a gift from You, would be exercised this very evening. That they would leave this place declared righteous by a holy God. Completely justified. Lord, we love You. We thank You for justifying the wicked. Lord, I thank You for justifying a wicked person like me, the wretch that I am apart from Jesus Christ. And I give You all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Holy Spirit, empower me to live a life of appreciation for what you've done for me. Others would be drawn to you. I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.